Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. You can support this podcast at Patreon.com slash Partners in Crime Media. This week's podcast is sponsored by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is revolutionizing the way women color their hair with gorgeous, salon-quality, multidimensional hair color delivered to your door on your schedule. Join the hundreds of thousands of women like me who have tried and loved Madison Reed. Visit madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with promo code WRITERS. That's madison-reed.com and promo code WRITERS. This episode is also sponsored by the audiobook edition of Exposed by best-selling author Lisa Scudaloni and narrated by actress Kate Burton. In this new legal thriller, a battle for justice pits partner against partner and proves that loyalty can be lethal. Listen at home, on the go, or while tackling your to-do list. To hear an excerpt, visit macmillanaudio.com slash exposed. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N-A-U-D-I-O dot com slash Exposed. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about pop culture, true crime, journalism. And this week, we've got some big true crime updates in court cases from S-Town and Beware the Slender Man. Then we'll go back to the 70s when peep shows and hookers in Times Square were the quaint before pictures to the hardcore after in HBO's new series, The Deuce. So joining me to get all that done, and by the way, a whole lot more, is my true crime co-author, real-life husband, and host of These Are Their Stories, the Law & Order podcast, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Rebecca. It's so good to have you be be here. (laughs) You mean like after we had just had dinner, just just upstairs? (laughs) Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, certified cat lady, and expert house painter, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. I have finally finished my entrance Y, people. It only took how long? <laughs> a week. So to paint like oh, fifty yeah, like square feet month. of wall. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That's very impressive. And finally, we have the wettest of wet blankets, the brilliant novelist behind the City Trilogy and co-host of Radio Free Dystopia, the podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Thirty and ten, Rebecca. Okay, what does that mean? Isn't that what all the prostitutes say when the guys yes. pull up? They're like 30 and 10. Yes. 30 for the date, 10 for the room. Do you know that from watching The Deuce? Or do you know that from your life is what I want to know. There has not been any 30 and 10 <laughs> anywhere. Yeah, I don't. That was, that, that was, wow. that was a previous life, yeah. I guess. I don't think you can even go to Thailand and get it for 30 and 10. Yeah, I know. 70s pricing right yeah, there, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I do want to just like do a couple little updates before we start the show. By the way, listeners, we'll be very excited to know. We already know what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to do a little bit of a double bill by popular demand. We're going to be talking about two Netflix shows, the true crime parody, American Vandal, and the confession tapes, which a lot of our listeners have been tweeting to us about and emailing us about. So that's not homework. 
That's just us saying. That's what we're going to be talking about next week. And we just wanted to let you know. Now, Laura, there's also something our listeners might want to know about. We have a live event coming up. Do you want to uh, fill us in since you're the one who arranged this whole thing? Yeah, I'm the one who kind of roped everybody into this. So um, we <laughs> this has evolved um, since we first kind of got into this. So I have been kind of involved behind the scenes trying to help the Exeter Historical Society here in Exeter, where I live. They've had a lot of funding issues over the last six months. They almost had to lay off all their staff. Ooh. Yeah, it was, you know, history gate. You know, it was it was like my own little cozy mystery uh, murder, even though nobody <laughs> got killed. So we are going to be doing a live Crime Writers On event that's going to benefit the Historical Society, and it's going to be October 12th in Exeter. New Hampshire. And not England. I know we did have some people who said, come to England. I'm like, I am all for that. Um, but this is in Exeter. And I'm really excited because it's um, actually going to be kind of close to my house at this really awesome venue called The Word Barn, which some neighbors of mine who are these really cool artsy uh, writer music people, they have created a venue in this old barn they're at hippies. their house. Just and say it it. They're hippies. They're hippies. They are, but they're so they're so awesome. They're like the best neighbors. I love it. And we will have beer and wine. It's very exciting. And, um, you know, there's only going to be a limited number of tickets because of that pesky fire department here in Exeter. So they have a, you know, certain number of people that can be in there. I think it caps out at 75. So tickets are going to be going on sale um, because it is a benefit for the Historical Society so they can keep operating. So we're trying to save the Historical Society? Yeah, I don't care about the, the Historical four Society. Of us? I just want to meet some fans. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying, if they're counting on us... Uh, I know, it's a yeah. long shot. <laughs> it is. But we have alcohol, so maybe that's going to help. I mean, yeah. you know, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to talk a little bit about podcasting and the podcast, and we're also going to tape a portion of a podcast at that event. So if you've been interested in meeting us in person, I'll say like the last live event we did, we actually like had a lot of FaceTime people who came who were actually fans of the show. So there's probably going to be some just random Exeter folks there who don't even know what a podcast is. Right, Laura? There are. And, you know, the <laughs> other thing. Looking forward to yeah, that. Who, they're going to be like, what? what? You know, some of the uh, older folks in the historical society who, you know, may or may not even know what a podcast is. But the other thing that's exciting, if you come, uh, Water Street Bookstore, which is our awesome local independent bookstore with the most handsome bookstore owner in the state of New Hampshire. Dan Chartrand. Dan Chartrand. He's he has very, very good hair. He does. Dan will be on hand with our books. They will be for sale so we can personalize them for you if you'd like to get a book while right. you're there. You've really like done a great job organizing this event, Laura. I guess I actually have to pack up these microphones and bring them with me. That's all we have to do, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's it. Just show up and have some wine. It's Nicely all good. done. Nicely done. So we are going to post information about that event on the Facebook page for Crime Writers On, also on the online post for this week's show at crimewriterson.com. And if you want to know more, just tweet to Laura, <laughs> at Laura Bricker. Yep. So, Kevin, you also have something that you want to tell our listeners about, right? Yeah. Again, this year, I'm going to be taking part in the walkathon called Walk a Mile in Her Shoes. You're calling it a walkathon? Yeah, where I walk <laughs> in high heels shoes and raise money for the crisis center of central New Hampshire. So this is a, um, you know, a domestic violence center where you know, women go and they have to make a quick escape. Uh, from an abusive situation and women and their kids. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's been. Let's see. This is the fourth year I've done it, and I still don't know how to walk in high heel shoes. <laughs> but we're just asking folks if you know they want to give a little something that they could donate. You know, sponsor my walk. 
Among the sponsors, Rocky Flintstone. Yes. From. from oh, are from, you kidding from me? Dad, my dad wrote a porno. No, the dad. The from, dad from. My dad wrote a porno. The author of the Belinda Blinks series of books. Yeah. He has actually sponsored your walk for this wonderful, wonderful cause. So it's really great. And we just encourage our listeners to uh, follow Rocky Flintstone. And then we put a link to that one on our Facebook page. Yeah, it's actually right on the homepage on Crime Writers On. And there's going to be a link in the show description. I'm skeptical of you calling it a walkathon because I know this thing is like 600 feet long. It's not that. <laughs> so if you could do a little bit, that's great. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, a buck, five bucks, a hey, hundred hey. bucks. Oh, I did say that if you do more than $25, not 25 but more than 25 I will send you a photo of me in the sh- high heel shoes doing whatever you want me to do. Ooh, Whatever. Whatever. The level of nice. crazy should be equivalent to the level of generosity. But, I'm already uh, like whipping out my credit card as we speak. I got a, I got a hundred dollar uh, pledge, and I'm just gonna say it involves underwear. What did Rocky Flintstone ask you to do? Nothing, nothing. Because <laughs> he's, he's just, a super guy. He's super nice. He's like, yeah. just take my porno money. Yes, but I don't think he understands <laughs> the conversion between British pounds and American dollars, so it didn't quite work out for him. That's true. So I have one less altruistic but equally important plug. Um, we don't usually do this many plugs at the start of a podcast, but we're just going to go for it, right? Mm-hmm. So I just taped, and it just dropped today. I was on another podcast called Reality Life with Kate Casey, in which I talk all about one of my favorite topics, Scientology in the Aftermath with Leah Remini. So if you are watching that show like I am and want to hear me talk about it, check out this week's Reality Life with Kate Casey. It's a fun podcast, and I am on it. Okay, so moving on. We do have some listener feedback that is critical to address. We have two pieces of feedback. Piece number one, we heard this from a couple of people, but I'm going to read this quick email from Evelyn. Evelyn says, hey, guys, love the show, but I am bothered that you guys seem to spoil what you're reviewing so often. The most recent example is when Kevin spoiled the end of The Hanging and then recommended that we listen to it. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. Kevin takes the suspense or some of the interest out of listening. So I love the show otherwise, just thought you should know. Kevin, keep that in mind. Okay. I will also blame you for not editing that out. <laughs> now, Toby and Laura, um, do you think you can handle reviewing things without being too spoilery just for Evelyn's benefit? What do you think? We've only gotten through two episodes of The Deuce. The Deuce. <laughs> Not much to spoil. Not much to <laughs> yeah. it's, it's hard for me to hold back information. I spoil things all the time, so uh, I'll, I'll try, but uh, I, can't, I can't promise anything. Uh, today, for example, I just wrote my column about the island of St. John where my husband and I had planned to elope, and the whole thing about eloping is that you're not supposed to tell anyone. Yeah. And I did. So guess what? I didn't elope. So I will try my hardest, but we're, we're kind of fighting an uphill battle here. I love that because Kevin always says that I'm terrible at keeping secrets, which, by the way, is totally true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he always say, like, way to go, Matahari. That's always what you say to yeah, me. Yeah. I'm just so excited there's someone else on this show who is also bad at that. It makes me feel better. Um, yeah. So our second piece of listener feedback this week, we actually have in audio form. And this is from one of our most... Ardent listeners and one of our biggest fans, and he has some feedback about how we do reviews of other podcasts. So I'm going to play that for you guys, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Hey, Crime Writers, Patrick Hines here. Okay, 
So you guys know that I'm completely obsessed with all of you, right? Like, you really need to get restraining orders, each of you. Uh. <laughs> and look, you're the first family of true crime podcasts, Aww. literal podcast royalty. But you guys, we need to have an uncomfortable conversation about thumbs sideways. Mm. I mean, what the f*** is that? <laughs> Here's the thing. We need you to tell us that is a garbage podcast. <laughs> really, we're supposed to listen to a guy crawl around under a house for two hours? But that we really do need to listen to the accused. Or that is the worst podcast host in history. But that Dan Taberski really knows how to tell a story, so we need to listen to Missing Richard Simmons. You guys are our North Star. We Aww. look to you for guidance and wisdom. I also need Kevin to say there's no there there more often, but that's another conversation for another time. So hashtag get rid of thumb sideways, please. These are uncertain times, you guys. We need you to be strong for all of us. Rebecca girl, call me. Let's be best friends. <laughs> oh. All right. So Toby, um, how do you feel about Patrick Hines? By the way, we should say Patrick Hines is the amazing podcaster behind True Crime Obsessed, which I believe had its little debut on this show and has now become a very popular show mm-hmm. in its own right. He's also the podcaster behind Broadway Backstory and Theater People and Broadway Backstory. Just dropped a series of episodes about Hamilton that have been personally endorsed by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So he's not just your average fan. Like right. He's somebody maybe we should listen to. I don't know. Or we could ignore him. Toby, what do you think about his feedback about our reviews? I don't think I've ever given a thumb sideways. <laughs> really? Yeah, sure. You know. <laughs> so ban the, the thumb sideways. No yeah, fence he's, sitting. He's right. He's right. Because you know what? I give thumb sideways when I actually don't like something, but I don't want to be like totally negative. So I'll say thumb sideways because you might like it, but really... I don't like it. So it is an easy out when you don't want to come out against something and, and give an honest review of how you feel. I give them sideways when I know I didn't like it, but I think some of our audience might like it. Mm-hmm. Like that That's sort of my thing. Is like I'm like, this wasn't for me, but I know the 8,000 of you who would like it because you tweet to us and write us emails and you love something and you always tell us to listen to things that I end up hating. So I, I think for me, it's like... I could maybe qualify my thumbs down a little bit. You know who was really brilliant at that, Kevin, was Roger Ebert. Well, I was just going to say, I was going to channel my inner Siskel and Ebert. Roger so Ebert So thumbs up or do... thumbs way up. Right. Or, you know, if, if you're on the borderline, he would just say, you know, uh, thumbs, ah, thumbs down. Thumbs <laughs> <laughs> Thumbs, you know, slightly, this marginal thumbs down or whatever. But, uh, yeah, so no more in the middle. Can we do thumbs way up, thumbs way down? Sure, you can do like, you know, two Is thumbs Is Patrick going to be pissed at us if we do that? What about no. another expression for when it's in the middle and it's something that we don't love but somebody else might? Is there another expression we could use? No, we're getting thumbs around down. the idea. Thumbs down. <laughs> there you go. Thumbs down. That's All right, Kevin. Uh, I need you to read this for me because it's time for one of these. True, True crime, crime podcast, podcast updates. Update. Laura, big news from Canada this week about one yes. of Kevin's favorite podcasts. What yes. is going on with Someone Knows Something, Laura Bricker? Well, I will tell you what's going on. David Ridgen was on some sort of Canadian TV show this week and did a little interview about Someone Knows Something and revealed that seasons three, four, and five are in the works. 
So three and four, he has actually kind of come out and said what the the next seasons are going to be out. So season three is coming in November, Hmm. and it is the D and Moore case. And I'll just give you a quick synopsis. In 1954, Mississippi, the bodies of two black teenagers, Charles Moore and Henry D., were pulled from the old Mississippi River. They'd been murdered by the Ku Klux Klan, but no one ever was convicted. So this is his first cold case investigation. He's going to join Thomas Moore, who's the brother of one of the victims. So once again, he's kind of going through a family member like he did in the last season. And return to Mississippi 40 years later to get the case reopened, confront the Klansmen, holy crap, um, and finally find justice. So this could be interesting. Um, you know, I hope David's okay, because that sounds sort of scary. Didn't he do that yeah, as a documentary? Say, he's returning to his a roots. A film document. Wasn't that the subject? I actually think he did a he documentary similar, about yeah. this case or about another case in Mississippi. So this could be interesting, okay. Kevin, right? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, if, you know, if it's good, if it's quality material. It's, Would yeah. you be willing it's, to review another David Ridgen yeah, podcast? Yeah, of course. <laughs> what about you, Toby? What do you think? Yeah, I like David Ridgen. And it's kind of a Neil Young move, I think. In what way? Well, the song Southern Man mm-hmm. is all about civil rights violence by a Canadian. I, mean, I don't think we have more material here where we're going to like force Kevin to listen again. But like, this could be good, right? This sounds intriguing. This case to me sounds more intriguing than the last couple of cases. And I have to say, I listened to David's interview and now I have a little bit more fondness for him than I had before because he is a big animal lover and he has his pets, but he doesn't call them pets. He calls them his friends, Twig and Spock. Do you guys want to know what season four is? Yeah. So season four is the Wayne, and I don't know how to say this, Grevit case. And it's arriving this winter, it says. So when a package arrived in the mail at Wayne's Ontario farmhouse, it seemed like an early gift for the holidays. Inside the wrapped present was a typewritten letter addressed to Wayne. The note contained a P.S. Have a very Merry Christmas and may you never have to buy another flashlight. When they turned the flashlight on, it exploded, killing him instantly. Whoa. God, that sucks. More than 20 years later, there have been no arrests in the case, leaving Wayne's family consumed with finding the culprit. So, again, David will join the family, including the widow and children, to investigate. Wow. All right. Well, Kevin, uh, can you read this for me? Because we've got another one of these. True Crime Podcast Update number two. (laughs) Toby Ball, there was some news this week in yet another podcast crime case that we've talked about on and off. And that is the S-Town podcast, the case involving Tyler Goodson. What is going on down there in Alabama, Toby? Well, quite a bit of stuff, Rebecca. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, of course, S-Town was the uh, podcast uh, about John McLemore and the sort of other main figure in that was Tyler Goodson, who was his buddy and also did this sort of S&M tattooing stuff. At the end of S-Town, they talk about, you know, Tyler going on to John's property after John was dead and just kind of taking things. So he's been charged with 20 counts of theft, criminal trespass, burglary, and possession of a forged instrument. And actually, after listening to the S-Town podcast, the prosecutor doubled the number of charges against Goodson. Wow. Goodson's denied that he took the property, has not denied that he took the property from McLemore's land, but he claims the items were bequeathed to him. By John, according to court records, Goodson went to Macklemore's property at different times after Macklemore's death and took several items such as an 18-wheeler trailer full of lumber, hmm. tattoo equipment, and some cars. Huh. And then, I guess, in sort of a, uh, a preview of his defense strategy, in an interview with the Tuscaloosa News, he said, in the eyes of the law, I'm a thief and a trespasser. 
but behind these two blue eyes, that was my damn place. <laughs> so I'm not sure what legal theory that falls under, but good luck. That falls under the legal theory of uh, listen to your lawyer and don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Please right. don't talk to anybody. These eyes. I feel like I'm innocent. Um, <laughs> anyway, so this and then it becomes kind of interesting for another reason, which is his attorneys wanted to have the trial held outside Bibb County, which is where all this stuff took place because of both the popularity of S-Town and the heavy news coverage. So they had suggested taking it to this place, Wilcox County, which apparently is in the same judicial district. And the reason why they did that was that they had looked at this report published by Edison Research called The Podcast Consumer, which compiles statistics about podcast consumers. And one aspect of the report was income and that people who are avid podcast listeners made an average annual household income of around $63,000 compared to the U.S. median, which is 53000 So slightly wealthier than, than average. And Wilcox County is one of the poorest counties in the entire country. The median income is about 23000 So their, their, their theory was that since there's a whole bunch of poor people living there, they probably don't listen to podcasts and therefore will not be influenced by S-Town. But isn't S-Town going to be evidence in whatever in this trial? I don't know. It doesn't say. <laughs> Regardless, the judge said, nope, sorry, we're keeping it in uh, Bibb County. The trial is going to start on October 16th. Also, I don't know if we talked about this before, but Goodson was arrested on a completely different charge earlier this year and accused of shooting his brother's dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He claimed that do- his brother's dog attacked his dog which he said had previously belonged to Macklemore. Yep. He was later released. Yeah, we did talk about that, and that was not good. That did not help us with our empathy toward Tyler Goodson. Even though I will still contend, John Macklemore does say on tape in the S-Town podcast that he plans on leaving a bunch of stuff to Tyler, right? But does that, what legal... It doesn't. Does that have any legal... Clearly it doesn't, yeah. but perhaps could help his case when it comes to intent. I don't know, that he didn't intend to... Steel, he just intended to, I don't know. I'm just saying yeah. the dog but John, thing didn't John's, help. John's like such a huge BS artist, though. True. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just throwing out there <laughs> what I think could possibly come up. Kevin, you have uh, another quick uh, one of these. True crime update. Okay, now give the true crime update, Kevin. <laughs> no, I give the true crime update. Yes. Well, the, um, there's a verdict in the Slenderman case. A jury found Anissa Wire. Mm-hmm. We talked about this last week. Yeah, not criminally responsible for her actions in stabbing her friend 19 times. She and Morgan Geyser, when they were 12 years old, lured away her friend Peyton into the woods and then attacked her. Peyton crawled away. She was she flagged down a bicyclist, and uh, she did recover from her wounds. Now, the two of them said that they thought if they made the sacrifice to Slenderman, this boogeyman from the Internet, it would keep their family safe from him. So on this past Friday... 10 out of 12 jurors voted that Anissa was mentally ill. Mm. Under the law, 10 out of 12 have to right. come to that, not a whole all 12. Also, 10 out of 12 voted that she was not criminally responsible for her actions. Mm. So now she will go to a state mental hospital, and after three years, she can apply for release. And then every six months after that, she can continue to apply for release. Morgan's trial will begin next month. Now, Morgan was the friend, right? Like, yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I remember Toby and Laura. Laura, we talked about this Beware the Slenderman mm-hmm. documentary on HBO. And we were all in agreement, I think, that this girl suffered from mental, mental illness and that the traditional judicial process, i.e. trying her as an adult, 
wouldn't be appropriate, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I seem to remember, was this the case where the prosecutor also was a little bit more kind about her situation and actually recognized that this was not a case to just go like barreling ahead at, that there was clear issues beyond just mental health issues. These girls had serious disorders. And it was it was really sad. So I'm glad it worked out like this, because a lot of times, you know, in the criminal justice system, you see mentally ill people that commit crimes, and that's not taken into consideration as much as you would hope it would be. Mm -hmm. So this I'm I'm glad for this, because this it was really sad when you you got to see um, and was this the girl whose father was also schizophrenic? Or was that the other girl? Oh, I can't remember. I think this was the girl whose father was all the mother was talking and the father was also mentally ill. Yes. Kevin, what were we going to say? Well, we talked at length last time about whether it's appropriate for juveniles to be tried as adults and when and where that happens. In the state of Wisconsin, I found out that any child who is accused of murder or attempted murder over the age of 10 will be tried as an adult. Yeah. Wow. Brandon Again, Dassey. 12 years old was, was pretty young, but you imagine a 10-year-old yeah. for attempted murder wow. tried as an adult. Hey, that's the way it stands in Wisconsin. Some enterprising investigative journalist in Wisconsin at maybe some public radio station, I don't know, I think we know one or two of those people, could really have like a kick-ass podcast about the messed up judicial system in Wisconsin. We've had so many conversations about Wisconsin on this show, have we not? We have. Now, Kevin, one quick follow-up uh, item on a media update you actually finished a series that we reviewed on the show a few weeks past, um, Manhunt Unabomber on the Discovery Channel. Yeah. Do you just want to give your thoughts on the episodes that we didn't talk about but that aired after we did that review of that show? Yeah, I watched it all the way through. I thought it was, well, I thought it was interesting because I really liked hearing, you know, sort of the outline of the case. I liked this part of it. I, I liked sort of seeing the behind-the-scenes thing. There's sort of a spine of a tale here about how these investigators, specifically James Fitzgerald, worked his you know magic with the <laughs> Unabomber. But there was just something about the whole writing of it. It just seemed like like it was somebody's MFA project, and they checked every box. <laughs> Because I mean, there was there was like this Hannibal Lecter part where you know it's only it has to be this FBI agent and the thing where they go out in the woods and take him out of the cabin. You have to come back, and it's all the people he hates. Hopefully, that really happened, mm. and that's a hundred percent true. You know, they do say based on true fact or based on a true story. So the based on is always kind of like yeah. what's there, but there's just some stuff that like I think you know on paper when you're workshopping this seems to be like. Yeah, that would like build the dramatic tension in this. For some reason, it just that didn't click for me. But it's still enough that I, I watched it and I thought I learned a lot about the Unibom case. But you know, like oh, we have this episode where Ted Kaczynski like rides his bike into town and helps out. No shit, Timmy, <laughs> little Timmy, at the library, and you know, With sort Lassie? of Lassie. Yes, you know, it's like oh, he's nice, and I'm just like. I, I just I knew it. So when they arrest him, they're going to drive him right by Timmy. And of course they did. You yeah. know, Timmy's like, oh, I can't believe Chad. It was like Timmy's birthday party. Yeah, it was the, right. Yeah. He was going to Timmy's birthday party and that drove him over the edge. It just was, some of it rang really hollow. But beyond that, as a historical look back at the case, an inside look at how they things got done and who took credit for what, 
I thought that that was really interesting. Well, I can tell you as somebody who felt like they were being held hostage watching the rest of these episodes uh, of this show, what I think (laughs) was the weakness in the writing that maybe helped it ring hollow, okay? The stuff that was good about it, Paul Bettany's performance was very good. He Mm -hmm. played Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. The stuff about what was actually happening with the Unabomber and how he became the Unabomber and then how they caught him and then how they uh, brought his actual cabin to be a piece of evidence. And I've seen his built cabin. built a replica of a cabin. Yeah. Like, that stuff was interesting. To me, where it felt really hollow was in the dumb storytelling stuff that you mentioned and also in their very hackneyed attempts to make the profiler at the center of this case, Fitzgerald, heroic in a way that seemed to belie what they were trying to do. So they tried to make him appear like flawed, right? I'm putting that in quotey quotes. Mm -hmm. But then they like would bend over backwards in the story to make it look like, but he was right the whole time. So there's this one thing that happens in the show, which honestly, I I don't know the real story. Is this a spoiler? It is a spoiler. I don't give a shit because it's actually so stupid. But like he ends up, you know, he and his wife split up because he's like so invested in the case. And there's this other woman who's also a linguist that he's working on the case with. And then he and his wife split up and then he and the woman are working a late night and like she tries to kiss him and he's like, oh no, I can't. And she's (sighs) like, I thought you broke up with your wife. And he's like, no, but I'm just not. And so as a viewer, you're supposed to think like, What? what a guy, right? And- I don't really know what Fitz's real life story is, but the bottom, this was like a very sloppy attempt to be like, you know what? He had a marriage that broke up. Maybe he ended up marrying the other woman. Like they maybe had a, they had a relationship while he was still married. That shit happens. But the bending over backwards to make it look like she tried to kiss him and it was, it was so out of texture and nothing to do with the Unabomber. All that kind of stuff just made it stupid. I'm glad I didn't watch anymore. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Kevin Flynn, would you recommend to our listeners that they watch the rest of the Unabomber according to Patrick's new rules? Do you give it a thumbs up or thumbs down? Okay, well then I will give it a small thumbs up. Ugh, thumbs down for me. Thumbs up. Well, you know, it's, I'll tell you, it you know, wasn't the bomb. <laughs> but you know what is the bomb? What? Are the smoothies that you get from Daily Harvest. Yes, Daily Harvest. Oh, my God. Dub-um. I love them. So do I. <laughs> Thank you, Laura. So do I. Yes. Now, I had a, a very nice long talk with a guy from Daily Harvest, and he said he would listen to the podcast, and he would go jogging, and he wanted to hear our read of this, and so I told him I would put it up early so he didn't have to do 10 miles. Yeah. So, <laughs> this is for him. Daily Harvest sends superfoods straight to your door yeah, they do. for your choice of smoothies Activated breakfast bowls or nice cream vegan sundaes. And soups. And, and <laughs> soups. You know how I know? Because I ate all of the things they sent us. That's how I know. Yeah, you know, when you see people walking around with these, uh, you know, smoothies that have like every kind of like fresh fruit hanging out of it, you're sitting like, there thinking like, I wish I could make that at home, but the portions and getting all the different kinds of special fruits and the exotic ones and, you know... That, that's very hard. With Daily Harvest, everything comes pre-portioned in a cup, and all you have to do is put in milk. I don't feel or... like you're describing this right, because I'm the one who ate all these things. Can I please describe it? Yeah, sure. You, want to take, you it? take the cup of Daily Harvest stuff, you put it in your blender with your liquid of choice. It can be milk, it can be coconut milk, it can be water, it can be anything you want, and it gives you a recommendation on the thing. 
Then you blend the thing, you pour it back in the cup, you put the top back on the cup, it even comes a little hole for a straw, and you have your incredible smoothie or sundae or soup. As they've made it, they are all delicious. Even when you read the container and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to like this, it ends up being great. My favorite, by the way, was the cocoa avocado smoothie. Yeah, that one was really good. Is that the one that had pumpkin seeds? Delicious. Full of superfoods, tasted like a delicious chocolate shake, and it was an incredibly healthy superfood smoothie. I loved it. I loved every single one of these things they sent us, and I know Laura did too. Yeah. Oh, I was. Obs- I think I like for like you know a week. I was eating these like all the time. I like breakfast, lunch, and dinner practically. I loved them so much. <laughs> you know, I have to say I have a very picky eater child in my house, and getting vegetables and fruit into him is like an act of God. But they sent these Sundays, and I was like, oh, you know, he's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's for the podcast. It's a Sunday, And so my picky eater child ate a Sunday that was made out of cauliflower and declared it delicious. And chickpeas. So you know what? <laughs> yeah, chickpeas, cauliflower. The chickpeas, I think they were in the cookie dough that went with the one that I had. So that's a success right there. But you just feel so healthy when you're done eating these. And some of them are pretty substantial. Like some of them you could actually, use, like if you didn't have time for lunch, um, some of those chocolate ones are definitely, you know, substantial enough to eat for a meal. Totally. So the cups come and you store them in the freezer. They're ready to go when you are. The produce is, is organic and it tastes great. You get to see all the ingredients for yourself with your own two eyes yeah. before you eat them. And Daily Harvest freezes all of their ingredients at peak freshness, sealing in their nutritional value. Yep. They don't like pick it and it sits around in the factory and then they f- they freeze it. They- like right in the field boom 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 so it's like at at its peak perfectness kevin you know me do i go out of my way to eat like superfoods and nuts and grains like on a daily basis yes or no Mm, not so much did i or did i not like completely love all of these things these shakes and stuff that they sent us i loved them Yeah, you saved me none i saved you none i didn't want you to have any one of them i wanted yours all for myself so go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code crime Crime. and get three items free off of your first box that's promo code crime crime for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com daily-harvest.com loved it what else you got kevin well, you know what's great about like taking a smoothie is that while you're doing that, walking around the house, you can also be enjoying a great audio book. Yes. Hands-free, right? Yep. yep. Just plug the audio book in your ears, drink your smoothie, and you've got yourself an afternoon. Yep. And that's why we love getting content from Audible. Audible has an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and a lot more from leading publishers, broadcasters, and business information providers. And, of course, unlike any streaming or rental uh, services, when you buy a book from audio, you, you keep own it. it. It's yours. It's yours. And if you don't like it, they have the Great Listen Guarantee, so you can swap it for a new one. Now, I always go around the horn and ask you guys for your audiobook recommendations, like last week, but I never give any. Yeah. So I am going to give my audiobook Ooh, recommendation. I'm excited. What do you got? I'm going to recommend this new book uh, called Narconomics. Mm-hmm. It's a nonfiction book by Thomas Wainwright. It's showing how drug cartels mimicked the best practices of large corporations like Walmart and McDonald's to keep their businesses going, to handle cash flow, to keep customers happy. It's amazing. Mm. 
And you can get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial at audible.com slash crime. That's audible.com slash crime for a free audiobook and your 30-day trial. Very important to use audible.com slash crime. crime. <laughs> All right. Now it's time to move on to the review part of our podcast. Since we've gotten so much feedback about how we do reviews, I'm excited to hear how we do this one. We're going to talk about the new HBO series, The Deuce. This is from David Simon. It is prestige TV, as they say. David Simon, of course, is the creative force behind the gritty series that white people love to brag about loving, The Wire, and Kevin's all-time favorite book, Homicide, A Year on the Killing Streets, which, of course, was the source material for the excellent TV police procedural, Homicide, Life on the Streets. The eight-part series, The Deuce, takes place in 1971. It shows how seedy Times Square gets transformed from awful neighborhood to the smut capital of New York and how porn goes from back-of-the-bookstore quarter machine smut to mainstream industry. The show has a really big cast of flashy pimps, savvy hookers, dubious cops, and James Franco going all parent trap, playing twin brothers. (laughs) We are only two episodes in so far, something worth noting, because that's all we will have watched by the time of this review. So if you don't like what we have to say and then you feel differently in episode three, keep in mind, we've only watched two episodes as of this review. Now, I do want to say Times Square as a location is where a lot of the story takes place. I grew up in New York. They are showing very much uh, the pre-Times Square that I knew growing up, which was also a place you wouldn't want to go. It's a total trash hole uh, in the early 70s. And then in the late 70s and early 80s, it was where you went to go to peep shows to get fake IDs and to maybe pick up a hooker if you wanted one. Kevin, you and I were just in Times Square like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. How would you describe it today? It's super commercial. Yep. It's family friendly. Yep. And you can get your picture taken with a guy in an Elmo costume. A fake Elmo costume. Fake Elmo costume. <laughs> there are no peeps. I think there is one like strip club in Times Square, but that's it. And there's, there's a no... horrible Guy Fieri restaurant, right? There's a... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, speaking of raw slabs and roast beef. <laughs> yeah, but it is basically a New York, like... That was one really of the most... filthy. You got to take that out. It's okay. It's like one of the most sanitized places you can go in New York as we speak. But it was a very different place, and that's kind of what the show is about. Now, Toby, um, you have a lot to say, I think, and just in your email to me about this show and your thoughts. You were the first of us to watch it about the way that David Simon has structured this narrative. Can you just give us your thoughts on that? I've got a lot of thoughts on that. Go but for I'll it, start Toby. off with, uh, well, uh, just starting with the, the, the first episode, which is an hour and a half and is the, you know, the premiere. And in, the, in these situations, and this is an ensemble cast, I mean, there's like, there's at least a dozen people who are, you sort of know and, and follow what they're up to. So what they do in the uh, premiere episode is that for the most part, it just cuts really quickly. It's these really, really fast scenes. One of the things that you sort of inevitably have to do is to have scenes where, where people kind of show their essence, like whether they're sort of inherently nice people, inherently sadistic people, you know, inherently greedy. There's sort of, I think there's no real way around that, especially when you have this many characters and and uh, you know I want to talk about a different aspect of that later 
But the combination of this really quick cutting and then also introducing these these characters by putting them in situations where they kind of show their sort of true selves, you know, to me, it seemed like a little bit much. Mm. After a while, it seemed like it was like, okay, well, here's this one prostitute who's going to be really nice to this kid who's losing his virginity on his birthday. And here's another prostitute who's going to watch a TV show with this old guy. And here's another prostitute that's worried that she's getting old and she's like, it makes her kind of crazy. So it's like all these things and it and it just seemed kind of transparent what they were trying to do. I, I wasn't I wasn't expecting it to be kind of that obvious. Mm. When you know, because you're you're talking about Dave Simon uh, and George Pelicanos, and I think they had some other writers too, and they're all just like top notch. But it seemed like maybe they were in too big a hurry or something. But it, it just felt like you were the intentions of these scenes just seemed too obvious to me, and I, I found that distracting. Now it's interesting, Toby. You should say that because I think The Wire season one in particular was structured similarly, where you'd have like. You know, seeing people, there was no exposition in The Wire. It was like, I'll put my cards on the table. We watched The Wire. I had to, like, read the IMDb and Wikipedia about every episode so I could just understand what the hell was going on. That was how I ended up, like, really understanding The Wire. I don't know how people who didn't do that actually watched that show and were able to keep up with it because the dialogue was obscure. There was almost no exposition. It was very regional. It was very much of the place. And the character development was very slow. And you would think somebody was a hero and it would turn out they were a villain. You would think somebody was one thing. It was a cop who made like doll furniture. And then later you found out he had all this depth. And it did take a long time. But for some reason, the show didn't feel slow. And Laura, I know you think, despite what Toby says here, and Laura, Toby gave this feedback too. That even though there's all this like on its face in one scene exposition about characters being who they are, the show also feels slow. Toby said that and you also said that, Laura. So talk about that a little bit. That's interesting. That's because when I was feeling that when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I'm going to sound like such a downer because I'm not loving this show yet. Because for me, it just felt like the pace was slow. I felt, you know, it reminded me of... um, like a book like The Pillars of the Earth or one of those books where you have like all those characters and you're slowly getting pieces of each character. And then at the end, hopefully this all ties together. But I just felt like as I was watching it, I couldn't get invested in like following the characters because there were so many different characters and it was hopping around, but it was hopping around not in a way where I felt like there was a lot of action driving things forward. I mean, Uh, You know, probably the worst scene, and I'm not going to give a spoiler, was at the end of the first episode. And that was I was like, ooh, this this is going to start to get a little a little more gritty now. And then the second episode went back to being a little bit more. It just it feels so drawn out to me. And, And I understand, you know, kind of the purpose of the show and what they're trying to do in terms of, you know, painting a picture of, of, you know, the real underbelly, like, you know, uncomfortable part of this evolution of the porn industry. But for me, just I didn't feel like the pace was moving along in such a way that, you know, like I would tune out for a few minutes and come back and I'd be like, oh, you know, what's going on? Um, So I, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I just felt like it was it was dragging a bit. I think part of it is like in The Wire, the plot came first. Right. And you, you kind of met, you kind of learned about the characters as the plot went on, mm-hmm. you know, so so it was always like the plot 
the plot was consistently moving. And then the way the characters interacted with the plot was how you kind of found out about them. Right. What made this seem slow is that a lot of these scenes about about showing who these people are have nothing to do with the plot. Hmm. It's just these these isolated things that happen. So you're like, oh, okay, I get who that person is. I get who that person is. I get who that person is. But as far as like moving the plot forward, it, it does absolutely nothing. Hmm. It's, it's kind of like an aside. I think if you add up all those parts, like a significant percentage of the beginning of this hasn't advanced like what's actually happening in the plot very far. Now, I will tell you, Toby, I think there were some scenes that were excellent and and very wire-like in terms of speaking to the plot and speaking to characters at the same time. And I'll I'll point to two. One of them is the pimps sitting in the um, shoeshine chairs and sort of getting a sense of, like, backstory. I mean, there's an assumption that's made about, like, who pimps are and, like, why they're in the business. And you get, like, a different story about who these pimps are and why they're in the business. And the other scene I really liked, even though it made me so uncomfortable when I realized that my teenage sons were actually awake and could walk in the room at any minute with like mm-hmm. their midnight mm-hmm. snack was that scene with Maggie Gyllenhaal and the teenage boy, you know, giving him his first blowjob because his friends like pulled together their money, like to get him a hooker for his birthday because she has this incredible piece of dialogue that it was the first time in the show I kind of felt brought back to the wire when she like tells the boy like he finishes I don't mean to be gross but in like two and a half seconds and then she explains why she won't give him a second one for free and she does this really like lovely like dialogue about like what does your dad do for work you know if he has to work less hard to get one deal and how to work the other does he give the one he had to work less hard for like a break on the price and it was just like that to me reminded me of those great corner boy scenes in the wire that was about the system mm-hmm. and that also revealed the character, but it wasn't sloppy and just for the sake of getting you to, like, they never did anything in the wire for the sake of getting you to like someone. You got to like people because of what they did, but they didn't try to make you like them. I, that's, that's my feedback. Kevin, what do you think? There is a lot in here that does remind me of the wire. And th- there is a flavor that David Simon brings to a project that is the sort of dirt under the fingernails kind of thing. The first scene there with Reggie Love and Cece in the at the bus station. Yeah, the first you know? pimp scene. The first pimp scene, right? And it's like there's okay. a lot of that in the show. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's like it wasn't subtle to uh, a, a 2017 audience that these guys, you know, were pimps. They had like sort of every stereotype, right? Right, which was. You know, era appropriate. I, I'm sure if they spent a lot of time researching how much uh, fried eggs at that diner cost, you know, that the costumers are like, no, this this is an authentic 1971 uh, pimp outfit. You know, yeah. um, but that that the whole dialogue there, I thought, the, you know, when Reggie Love starts talking about Nixon in Vietnam acting like a pimp and, you know, expressing admiration for that, I was like, that bit of dialogue... That's David Simon. Yeah, that's not Boogie all that, over again. Yeah, right? that's not Boogie from the first, you know, the first scene in, in the Wire, which is although, one of the most famous scenes from the Wire. Yeah, although that's not Boogie, that's not made up. That's actually real right. quotes from from someone that David Simon uh, met. But with Reggie Love, the whole thing, you know, I thought, yeah, that's you know what David Simon's going to bring, and I know he wrote that. I could just tell. Uh, Qu- uh, Quentin Tarantino does a very similar thing. With his dialogue, it's very stylized to him. His is almost a little more cartoony mm-hmm. um, because it sort of calls 
back to itself. But I, I like what I'm seeing. It is a slow burn. But I think right now what they're setting up is the before shot. Hmm. You have to explain sort of what the state of pornography is at this moment in time if the story is going to be about how it changes. I have read, in preparation for our discussion of the show, I tried to read as many reviews of it as I could to sort of get a sense of what people are saying about the show. Mm -hmm. I should say most of the reviews are really, really glowing. I don't know how much of that is because it's a David Simon project and we feel pressure to sort of like love a David Simon project. I'm just saying, I'm not saying I don't love it. I'm not tipping my hand. But I do think expectations are very high and there is that thing where you go into something and you try to make it fit your expectations. So I don't know how much that of that is coloring your feedback. Well, right I don't now. know. I mean, I, I can't say that, you know, I terribly loved Show Me a Hero, which right. was his last thing. It was good. It was okay. He's like, oh, but it's the human drama of affordable housing. Right. It's okay. But, uh, <laughs> but it's his, his point of view. But it's... Um, I, I mean, Toby's right. There are some top-notch writers on the show, and we know one. We, we, we actually, we actually like one. always say, "Well, we won't talk about our friends' things." But, but Megan Abbott, who is this fantastic novelist that we know, is a story editor, right? And I can tell her fingerprints in the yeah, dialogue. Yeah, you know what I know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only just the dialogue. Every time some someone mentions, you know, a cocktail, it's going to be a grasshopper or a mai tai or dropping it, it, all it the name like dropping. Megan Abbott. That is that is Megan's fingerprint on yeah. that. That is so. From all, all of her noir, noir stuff, stuff yeah. it, it, ha- it has that little bit. And it's in a bar, so it's going to be, by the time we get through episode eight, we're going to have the bartender's handbook of stuff that uh, To me, she's all made. the hookers eating Chinese food in the courtyard behind the police station, <laughs> that had Megan Abbott's fingerprints all over. I don't know if she actually wrote that scene, but it just felt like something Well, she does write. bring a strong woman's voice to that. And I think there are some strong female characters here, and they need that. Now, I do want to talk about the characters of the pimps, because in the first two episodes, and I'm just going to say to our listeners, like, this is not a spoiler, because we're literally talking about the first two episodes. The characters of the pimps, uh, Toby, are, they are kind of driving the industry at this point. They're handling uh, the prostitutes. We have this one prostitute played by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Her prostitute name is Candy, and she wears like a blonde wig when she's candy she's an indie like she's decided to go like non-pimp and then you have all the other prostitutes who have pimps and you see how that uh relationship works both personally with the pimps you see how it works in the business side where they're sort of pushing uh the girls to do a certain thing to get income you see the manipulation you also see a lot of charm uh when the Pimps are interacting with each other, and there's like a certain dialogue and a certain joie de vivre there, uh, for lack of a better expression, with like the cool car and like all the clothes. But then you also see some bald on its face control and violence against women. And they're, I think, painting with an interesting brush there where they're trying to show both things. And we watch it in a very tight series of scenes. How do you feel that this entire industry at this point, especially around the pimps and hookers, has been portrayed. Is it working or does it feel like a little much right away? I'm just curious to know, Toby, what do you think of that? Because you're really good with this this kind of plot stuff. I think some of it some of it's really good. Like I, I think like Kevin mentioned with with the, the conversation they have on the bench in the bus station, uh, like you mentioned when they're getting the shoes shined, like and some of the interactions they have with the police are sort of witty and and you kind of see the charisma that these guys these guys have because I think that's supposed to be part of it in in a way in which they 
sort of attract women and, and get their, I, I don't know how to characterize what, what the devotion they have towards their pimps is. Part of it is this charisma. And then the other, the other part of it is, you know, the threat of violence. You know, what I think one of the, th- you know, I've kind of been a little harsh on, on, on the show so far. I think one of the things that it does really well is that even when I'm kind of frustrated with the way they're showing these scenes and, and, and sort of setting up the, uh, the, the sort of essence of these people, there's always the, the industry is hanging over decisions they make. And not so much with, uh, with Candy, who doesn't have to worry about being punished, but all the, other, all the others, that's always part of the calculation is what's going to be the pimp's reaction to this. Mm, yeah. You know, is this, is this going to get me in trouble? Even, even with Candy, you know, that, that, that dialogue she, you, were, you were talking about is sort of her sort of acknowledge, you know, this is my job. Right. This is a business. This is not, this is some kind of kinky little thing for you. But for me, I do this every day. I'm running a business and the business happens to be my body. I don't think it's perfect, and I kind of feel like CC again. I I, I just felt he was a he's a little too predictable mm-hmm. in that he's like the charming guy who's actually really can be extremely violent, and he talks about like not wanting to actually do violence, like like would prefer to threaten, but that that's not actually the case. I actually think the more interesting pimps are the weaker pimps. I actually like the ones that are sort of like the beta pimps who don't seem to know how to... I, I think they're more interesting characters. Like you have the the white guy with the long hair who's just like, whoa, I don't know what to do. And then you have, you know, I, I think that's just, it is more nuanced. I do want to talk about one thing that isn't nuanced. The amount of penises that we see. Well, there's that. There's also a lot of James Franco playing no, two there, people. Wait, no, but no, there are a lot of uh. penises. <laughs> There's a whole lot of peen in this series. You know what? It's sexist of you to only comment about the peen, but not about all the lady nudity. That's sexist. Who cares? But you expect to see lady nudity. You don't expect to <sighs> see peen. That's sexist right there. No. Oh, really? <laughs> really? You could watch Cinemax for a long, long time. I didn't need to see that big fat guy. <laughs> that, was, that may have scarred me. It's true. But let's talk about James Franco playing twins. Now, okay. when Speaking I was peens, combing a bunch of reviews today, uh, I kept looking for... Just somebody like kind of pushing back on this James Franco playing twins thing. All the reviews that I found, including the review in the New York Times, a reviewer I really respect saying like, you know, we might be blinded by Franco's star power, but, you know, blah, 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 nuanced performance. And I'm just thinking like James Franco is playing twins and we're seeing every like filmmaker trick in the world of like twins in a mirror, twins in a mirror. Laura, what do you think of this whole... Twin tossing up all the other twins. (laughs) What do you think of the James Franco twins characters, Laura? It's super annoying to me. I'm sorry. Every time we have a scene where both of them are in it, it reminds me of what's that insurance commercial where the lady plays like six different characters? (laughs) Yeah. So so the problem is that when he's playing the twins and they're in the same scene, I'm so distracted by trying to figure out like, oh, how did they do this so that it looks natural so that they're both in there? Oh, they've just got the back of his head in the scene and they don't have his face that I'm not able to follow the actual scene because I'm so distracted by the fact that he's in there twice. Right. Um, so that that's my issue with it. It just it's taking away from the actual storyline for me. They also like they have this whole thing going on where one of them is an entrepreneurial guy who's trying to like build something and get good at something. And the other one is a ne'er-do-well gambler and they have a close relationship. And, the you know, the one that is the entrepreneur is always trying to bail out the one who's a gambler. 
we never hear why. Like, why is he responsible for Bill? Because they're twins. Yeah, Kevin, what do you think of the James Franco stuff? You know, I actually think that Franco, his best moments are when he is not saying anything. <laughs> now, that's not a put down of the way he delivers his lines, but when he is, uh, you, you know, when he's quiet, when he's listening, like there's that scene in the pool hall. Where uh, he's being berated by the other pool players, he's going for his wife. The look on his face, you know, he's emoting the face acting. Very strong, yeah. Or in the hallway, in that last scene that Laura was, you know, referring to in the CD motel, Mm -hmm. like that stuff. Like he really, like you you know, you really get a a, a sense of uh, the drama and like what he's feeling. I think he does a great job there. Part of it, you know, is like. you know, when he's one of the twins, he's like, hey, well, you know, uh, you know, which doesn't really lend it. It's not really like Shakespeare. You know, for all this, I'll say about like how great the dialogue is, you know, he's kind of like delivering it kind of like, uh, you know, I'm you know, I'm this guy from across the river, you know. But uh, but I think when in, the, in those quiet moments, I'm really surprised. Franco does, a, I think, a really great job. Well, James Franco on his face like he's not known for being a bad actor he's known for being a weird actor Mm -hmm. who's like randomly decides to take a part on general hospital like that's what james franco is known for going to nyu and taking a bunch of classes at the same time he's making a movie sort of known for what he's doing off screen but he's never been called just like a bad actor but i will read a note that i got from toby when he was summarizing (laughs) his thoughts about the show which is and i quote every scene with james franco as both brothers sucks (laughs) Toby why did you write that note I think they play it they try and play it cute like it's sort of like a wink wink thing and it's just totally not in keeping with the rest of it and it's annoying it reminds me of um there is a thing you know how um there is sort of a thing a controversy around whether or not well-known actors should play people with disabilities you ever heard that like yeah there's also a thing for me with like, should well-known actors play twins, right? So when The Social Network, the David uh, Fincher movie came out with Jesse Eisenberg and Army Hammer playing the twin Winklebrost Wink- yeah. brothers, who Army Hammer at the time was, a, he had been in a lot of things, but he was a relative unknown. When I saw The Social Network in a movie theater, I had no idea that was not yeah. two people, Yeah, right? it was great, yeah. And it was like... What helped that illusion was the fact that I did not know that it was not two yeah, people. Exactly. And I agree with Laura that when you have a well-known actor playing twins, you are looking for it. And it does pull you out. It, it, it's, it's the thing where you're like, I'm aware that I am watching a thing in which this is happening. And this, to me, is the fundamental difference between The Wire and this. This, I'm sure, has all of the same like writing and crafting and thought but when you watched The Wire back when it came out, like you didn't know who any of those people were. There was a cast of largely unknowns, a lot of whom, by the way, were actually recruited for that production and who have since gone on to play other characters. And you always say whenever we see someone of those people show up on like Law and Order or whatever, like, oh, that's Bunk from The Wire. Yeah, like, right, yeah. like you didn't know Bunk before he was on the right. Right, right. Like the desk sergeant in um, The Deuce is like the criminal lawyer. It always uh, exactly, pops up exactly. Lawyer, so it's yeah. a little bit of a flaw that you're casting all these known people for this especially with twins I think that's a mistake I don't know that's just my uh, thought but I want to ask you guys like one final question before we give our final review here Um, Megan Abbott posted something on social media and then also in that New York Times review I referenced earlier which I just want your thoughts on this 
And for all its drama and plot, this show consistently and gratifyingly goes small, letting us learn about its characters gradually in relation to one another with the same granular dedication to detail that they brought to The Wire. Simon and Pelicano show us an entire gray market economy through the eyes of its participants. And as I mentioned, Megan Abbott also posted on social media when it was announced that this was being reviewed for a second season. Yay, we all get to see another hit piece on the economy. Is this an economic story? And we just haven't seen it yet. Uh, Toby, what do you think? I think everything else at that little piece of the review that you read was completely off base. Mm-hmm. But as far as the economy thing, yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, it's hard to tell after only watching the first quarter of the show. But I think it is about the change in the sex economy in the 70s from, I think we've talked about it before, but but that's what the, the show's about. So, yeah. Now, Laura, we do see like a hint of that, right? Where Eileen, uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's mm-hmm. hooker with a heart of gold character, leans in, Sheryl Sandberg style, when yes. she realizes that films are being made. And she's like, wait a minute, we only got paid for that once. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we got, what was it, like uh, mushroom soup in the face. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> the Viking scene, classic that, Viking that scene. Part. That was oh a shock. Gosh. That was. But I have to say, that was actually one of my favorite scenes so far in this show, because that's when I started to feel like, okay, this is a character that I could start to root for. Um, because up until then, there had been so many, you know, like I said, flipping around between different characters. I wasn't feeling like I was getting pulled in. And and, and when she started getting curious about that and she started questioning um, the girl that was videotaping about how everything worked and how the lights worked, I was like, OK, this is a storyline that I hope actually goes forward because that that to me would be, you know, I would like to see that happen. But yeah, you're, you're right. It definitely was a change in the attitude, but from a character that was sort of non-traditional to start with, where she doesn't have a pimp. Right. What do you think, Kevin? Is this a show about the economy? Yeah, I think that's why Simon is, in, is involved in this, what intrigued him it's about, about capitalism. It. It's, yeah, it's not about peen, and it's not about <laughs> boobs. <laughs> Is that how really? you say yeah. peen? Yeah. Why can't you just say penises? Why do you have to say peen? I don't know. I'm just kind of, you know, you know, because I've seen a lot of D in this episode. Is it because so. you have one? Because I have one. Yeah, I don't need to see anyone else. Are you else's. a self-loathing peen owner? <laughs> <laughs> but that's really what David Simon gets into is sort of the social justice angle or a very, at the very least the, the anthropological study and I think that that's what attracted him to this story it really isn't about why didn't those early pornography you know porno films have no sound you know was, and like why couldn't you you know show a this and a that and now you can I think it is about all these actors or I don't mean actors, but all, all these characters who are you know, in this orbit. Yeah, in the <laughs> orbit of what is happening. Mm-hmm. And we're about to, we haven't seen them come together yet. We don't know what this college girl's, what her role is going to be. We don't know how Franco and his brother somehow are going to connect to Maggie Gyllenhaal's character. But we know that they are. And they're going to somehow be riding this wave of change that brings Times Square from, as you say, just bad neighborhood to smut capital. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess this is the time in the show where we do what our listener Patrick and our other listeners expect of us with a little bit of a twist. Give the deuce from HBO a thumbs up or thumbs down. Should our listeners check it out? And will you continue to watch it? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Toby Ball, I'm going to start with you. Thumbs sideways, Patrick. No. <laughs> Nobody tells me what I can and can't do. Ouch. Um, I'm, I'm just joking. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I... I How about this? Peen pointing up or peen pointing down? (laughs) 
Do you yeah. want more time? Do you need more episodes? Like, what's going on? Well, I, I tell you, I, th- I think if this was just in a vacuum, I would say definitely thumbs down. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's just weird. That because sounds like a thumbs I, I down. Like, <laughs> I did like Show Me a Hero, and The Wire obviously is a classic, and I just both of those just seemed like they were just better. You know, they were able to do things in a way that that just seemed better thought out. I thought the characters were more complex. You you learned about them through developments in the plot rather than these little set-asides. But the fact that, that the team that did this is so consistently excellent that it feels like giving up on it a quarter of the way through is a little extreme. But just in a, in a vacuum, I, I would definitely say, you know, thumbs down. I'm going to say, guys, that when these things that we review where we're only like halfway through, I think we can give our thumbs up or down and say, we reserve the right to change our mind at the end. So right so now, Toby will be a thumbs down. He thumbs down, and if he loves it at the end, you know, no foul, he can go thumbs up oh and vice God. versa. It's a like paradigm I would be, shift. Well, that's how I would have gone with, with Homecoming. You loved Unabomber a little bit into it, and you gave it. A, you still gave it a thumbs up because there's something wrong with you. Yeah, all right. Yes. How about we get back to the deuce? All right, so Laura, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down based on the first two episodes you've seen of The Deuce? Do you recommend our listeners check it out? Oh boy, um, this is hard not having thumbs sideways. I'm going to give it thumbs up, but I'm not going to give it a enthusiastic thumbs up. I'm going to give it a you know moderate thumbs up, um, which is kind of like a thumb sideways, because I, I think it has potential, and I'm hoping that we're just sort of laying the framework and laying all the characters out for the, the pace to pick up and the plot to pick up now that the show's getting going. So I reserve the right to give it a different rating, as Kevin said later on. But for now, I'll say. Um, medium thumbs up. I'm giving it a reserved thumbs up, uh, thumbs somewhat up, not all the way up, not big thumbs up, because Maggie Gyllenhaal's performance is outstanding. A lot of the dialogue writing is outstanding. It's an interesting story. They're laden by and weighed down by David Simon expectations, which I think we have to say is a thing. Kevin, you said what when I said white people love to talk about how they love the wire, but they do. We all love to talk about how we love the wire. You know, when you watch the wire also that you were like, I don't know what's going on. I need to watch that one again to understand that's part of the expectation of this. And a lot of that stuff is not present in the show yet. If it didn't have those expectations, I think we'd be enjoying it more. So I'm giving it a thumbs up at this point with the caveat that it is not living up to what I think are really high expectations, especially given the glowing reviews of the show by outlets I really respect and I like. But yeah, I think our listeners should check it out. Just don't do so when your kids might still be awake. A lot of really, really, really gratuitous, not gratuitous, contextual sex and nudity in the show, including a lot of peen, as Kevin likes to say. Yeah, exactly. What do you think, Kevin? I'm giving it a thumbs up. Um, I know it's slow. It's We've seen the first act of this play, and I know it's it's this is all the setup. Um, but I do like as as I think it was in the review the the small stuff. It is granular. I find that really interesting, and I do have high hopes. I might change my mind at the end, like we all will. But right now, I'm a thumbs up. I will keep watching. I'm kind of interested in where this. Are this you is enjoying going. yourself while you're watching? I'm enjoying myself. I'm definitely enjoying myself. It's because you want to know what happens to these characters, not just in 1971, but throughout the years. I mean, are those bad girls? Do they end up becoming good girls? 
I because, don't know. Because if you're a bad girl and you want to go good, a great way to start is by rejuvenating your skin with Kopari. Oh, my God. Hookers love Kopari. <laughs> Kopari's line of beauty products are made from 100% organic coconut Hell oil. Hell yeah, they are. Zero potato soup. Kapari makes multitasking skincare and body care products that are free from sulfates, silicones, GMOs, and parabens. And it works on your face, in your hair, on your heels, of your feet, your knees, everywhere. Your Rebecca, cats. you love Kapari and you cannot get enough of it. If I could fill a kiddie pool with Kapari and roll around in it every day. Someone <laughs> would pay money to watch that. I would actually do it because I do love the way it makes my skin feel, I love the way it smells. It just gives you a nice clean, fresh, moist. I know you guys hate that word, but it really does give you all that stuff in in a delicious coconutty package. I love it. Yes, you know what? I This summer, I tried some of the Kopari uh, facial products. Um, they have a whole facial system um, complete with a like coconut oil-based cleanser, and then there's a toner, and there's a coconut lotion. And I have really sensitive skin. My face is always like breaking out and very sensitive to anything. And it was awesome. It, it was very... Uh, it Not only did it smell good, um, but my skin appreciated it, and I wasn't walking around like, you know, somebody's drunk Irish grandmother. So thank you, Kopari. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, their coconut body glow lets you keep that summer shimmer going well into the fall. So say aloha to your best skin and hair of your life with Kopari. Go to koparibeauty.com slash crime and get 20% off your order. That's Kopari, K-O-P-A-R-I, beauty.com. Slash crime for crime. 20% off. GopariBeauty.com slash crime. Crime. Coconut goodness. to smell like an almond joy. What else you got, Kevin? Well, Rebecca, you, everybody knows how much Laura loves her cats. Yes. And how much Toby <laughs> loves his cats. Yes. And Do how, we have a cat product? No. Oh, thank God. Oh. Thank God. What do we have? Everybody knows how much we love one of our two dogs. <laughs> I love both of our dogs. I just love one more than the other, and I'm not afraid to tell you that because if you met them, you would feel the same way, listeners. I swear to God you would. Yeah, so uh, Brighty and Stuart now are going to be getting a gift <gasps> from our friends at Link AKC. Shut up! It's a collar, but it's more than just a collar. I'm super excited about this. The Link AKC collar is a GPS locator. Nice. It's a fitness tracker nice. and more, and it's all controlled through a smartphone app. Nice. So, of course, the wow. GPS locator is great because... Brady runs away all the damn time. Stuart runs away. He never comes back to me. He comes oh, back to you. Because he loves me more because I love him more. Well, I let, like if he goes, zip, he's gone. <laughs> we live in a cul-de-sac surrounded in the woods. I have no freaking idea. I don't. Yeah. And he could go around and under and come back like a all right. So like what a can velociraptor. This do for us? Go ahead, Kevin. Well, we could. I could definitely pull out the app and I'll be able to see. But you, you won't know, be able to get is. him because he's a dog and he can run faster than you can. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> you know, for my peace of mind, I I know that he hasn't you know run off into the road or been eaten by a bear <laughs> or eaten by a bear. Uh, but my favorite part is the activity and wellness tracker. Mm-hmm. Right, so, he needs that. She's a big fatty. Yeah, you know, it doesn't matter how old your dog is or if it's a purebred or a mix. The link AKC shows the exact amount of activity every dog needs. It's like a Fitbit for your dog. It is. It is. And you know what's also the best, best part? What? Is that you will now know electronically if that teenage son who comes home from school (gasps) says he walks the damn dog instead of just (laughs) picking up the pee and saying it got done. 
Nice. Oh, that's perfect. Now I'm excited. I'm even more excited than I was before. Link AKC is super comfortable and it looks great. So keeping your dog safe, happy, and healthy just got even easier with this special offer from Link AKC. Go to linkakc.com and use code CRIME Crime. to save 30% on your order with free shipping. That's code CRIME to save 30% on your order with free shipping at linkakc.com. Linkakc.com, code CRIME. Crime. Now it's time to move on to my favorite part of this podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime Crime of of the the Week. Speaking of the deuce, you guys... A family in Colorado Springs say they've been terrorized by a jogger. They say several times a week the unidentified female runner stops in front of their house and takes a crap in broad daylight. (laughs) Kathy Buddy says her kids even caught her mid-squat with her shorts around her ankles, but the jogger keeps doing it. Police are baffled by her motives. There are public restrooms at the park a block away. Yet the jogger persists. The local media has dubbed this woman the mad pooper. She keeps getting away, leaving behind only a steaming pile of dew and the crumpled up toilet paper that she brings with her. She brought toilet paper. Investigators say she's left her mark outside of a Walgreens and more neighbors are reporting similar incidents of jogger defecation. The Buddy family is trying to keep her away with what could be described as a smear campaign by putting up signs and releasing photos of her to the press. Meantime, Colorado Springs residents are left to wonder where the mad pooper will strike next. So, panel, my question for you is this. How would you suggest the police flush out this suspect? (laughs) I see what you did there, Kevin. Toby Ball, what do you think? How can they flush out the mad pooper? I have a hard time believing they haven't done it already. Mm. How fucking hard is it to just like hang out in the house and wait for the jogger to come by and then go out and, and capture her <laughs> mid thrust. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I'm dumbfounded. What do you think, Laura Bricker? How could the police flush out the mad pooper? Um, well, first of all, I think, you know, she could use one of those Link AKC collars so we could track her. <laughs> <laughs> Call back. I know, but I don't know. Maybe they could make like a poop pit. Like, you know, those pits in the jungle where they capture people and they like put the leaves over the top and they come along. So if she has like typical pooping spots, you know, she could, you know, fall into a hole or something like the poop pit. I don't know. Spikes at the bottom. Oh, ouch. (laughs) No bamboo spikes. Maybe just a hole that could be covered over and, you know, in her normal spots. You know, I have to say we had an issue like this on the seacoast. And they never did get the guy. And it was a guy, he was jogging, same thing. And he would end his jog in a certain area and um, have a little private time to himself. And people reported that and they could never catch him either. So who knows what's going on? I mean, maybe there's more to jogging than I've ever realized. Maybe I should take it up. I don't know. So your Seacoast jogger had a lot of peen. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) It had a lot of mushroom soup. I hear you. I hear you. What about you, It was the jogger flogger, I guess. How would you help the police flush out the suspect? A sketch artist. (laughs) Wait, how much poop could this jogger possibly have when she can just go on cue at a certain spot like every day? I hear one of those military planes yeah. over Toby's plane? house. Yes. Yeah, it's one of those C-130s. It's very Yeah, exciting. can you dust for poop? <laughs> you dust for poop? DNA test? Look, I just... Uh, Toby's right. How hard could this be to solve? She poops in the same place over and over again. Like, can't you just, like, wait for her to come by? 
I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, I hate to say it, a shitty stakeout, but it would be kind of easy to grab her. Here's the one thing I know about runners. Yeah. Runners love to talk about the fact that they're runners. So my suggestion is the police put up an iPad station inviting runners to Instagram, tweet, or Facebook. I do not want to see that. About how much running they did that day. And then just put like a little thing on it to take people's pictures as they go by. Because you know even this pooping runner will not be able to resist posting how many miles they ran that day on Facebook. You know it. You know it, right? She brought toilet paper with her. <laughs> really weird. I mean, what is she running all day and she can't stop at a bathroom? Like she knows she's going to shit during The family said they've seen her go back and forth like 15 times. Oh, like a dog. Like a dog. Like just a point north to do it. <laughs> so they've seen her? They've yeah. seen her and they, they can't like be moved to get off the couch to go and like ask her no. what's, what the story is? They did. I think they've accosted her. Yeah, the mom went out and said, and what are you stop. doing? This? Yeah, they have, they have photos of her that they took like with an iPad or something like that, but they don't have a good shot of her face. Laura Bricker, moving on from this fascinating police story about a jogger pooping like a dog on a walk. It seems to be a good segue to, do you have a cat of the week this week? Um, we have a dog of the week this yes, week. Yes, um, finally, once yes, again. Yes, I know. We're back in dogs. Uh, we have Mary Beth Cole's dog, Ollie. And in her, her uh, application here, she says, um, he's thinking of applying, but currently has no sob story other than why is my dog bed always full of firewood? <laughs> and she sent a little picture of Ollie sitting in a little box with some firewood and looks like some paper fire starters. So in the spirit of um, sitting on my porch where I have my office next to the firewood box, um, Ollie is this week's winner. Now, Laura Bricker, if our listeners want to pitch you on their pets as being cat or dog of the week, how can they find you on Line on Twitter specifically. It's at Laura Bricker. You can also send us, by the way, emails at crimewriterson at gmail.com because I do forward them all to Laura when they have cat or dog of the yes. week pitches. Toby Ball, how can our listeners find you online? At Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, if our listeners want to tweet to you, how can they do that? I'm at Kevin Peen Flynn. <laughs> <laughs> Our little show is also on Twitter at CrimeWritersOn. You can also reach us by email with your questions and voice memos at CrimeWritersOn at gmail.com. And if you want to tweet or Instagram with me, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. If you want to get our newsletter and support the show by buying stuff on Amazon, you can also go to CrimeWritersOn.com. You can get it all done right there at our website. If you listen on iTunes, please consider rating and reviewing this show. It really helps us out. And while you're browsing for podcasts, check out our other show, These Are Their Stories, the Law and Order podcast. Our very handsome line producer is Henry Lavoie. Our theme music was performed by the New York Sky Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in Square Egg Studio, formerly known as Studio C, the place in our house most likely to be filled with radon. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. But you want to know what the real bomb is? The bomb is the is the shakes. No, fuck! I fucked that one up. <laughs> fuck that one up so bad. The bomb is the shakes. <laughs>
This show is supported by Audible. Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, and business information providers. I recommend you listen to The Vaults by Toby Ball. Get a free audiobook and a 30-day trial at audible.com slash crime. That's audible.com slash crime for a free audiobook with your 30-day trial. Partners in Crime Media. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home.